So today, starting out with Romans 10, our scripture will be verses 1 through 4. Today will be a part 2. It'll be me giving a sermon, but at the end we're going to kind of go through the highlights of what Paul is saying here. Scripture verses that I'm really going to key in on today are Isaiah 45, Jeremiah 23 and 33, Romans 3, which is where we're at, and then up to two of Paul's other letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, for some cross-referencing and driving home the central idea, which today is about God's righteousness. <laughs> God's very own righteousness, the righteousness of God, the righteousness that comes from God. And we will see that today, I pray, everyone will have a greater vision and understanding of the Lord's righteousness foretold in the Old Testament and finally manifested and revealed in the New, in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you. For you. You are great. You are awesome. There is none like you. God, help us to have a greater esteem of your Son, Jesus Christ, to treasure him above all things, to esteem him above all things in this world that might draw our attention away from worshiping him, from obeying him having a deeper love and abiding obedience to him. God, I pray for everyone in this room that you would bless them, that you would pour out your grace, that they would have greater understanding and knowledge of you and the truths of the scripture, and that for our whole church here at Community Bible. God, build our whole body up. Do not take our light away. Keep our light and help us to be good salt. Help us to take this light of your truth and you to our neighbors, to our family members, to our children, to people in this city and beyond. God, help us to have a deep desire in our hearts for the salvation of other people, as Paul has for the salvation of the Jews and for the salvation of the Gentiles. Help us to be more like your apostles, to be more like you, God. Help us to be good students that treasure your word, that are in it often, with a deep, deep hunger for you and your righteousness, that we want to abide in your truth and walk by your truth and obey your truth, that we would have a greater vision of Jesus Christ and that he would be sovereign Lord and King over our lives in more and more ways, Lord. And only this is effectual by the power of your Holy Spirit. So we pray for your grace, pray for your power. We ask that you would do these things to glorify yourself with us, through us, by the means of the grace that you pour out through the redemption which is in Christ, in the power of your Spirit. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Romans 10, 1 through 4. <coughs> Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, Israelites, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but it is not in accordance with knowledge. 
for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. First, we see once again Paul's deep emotion and prayer in verse 1 there. His deep emotion and his prayer is for his fellow Jews. Brethren, my heart's desire, my emotion, my passion, my prayers to God go toward my brethren, them. And in what way? It's for their salvation. Because they are not being saved as I would like them to be. Paul prays to God for them. He does not hate the Jews. The Jews who are rejecting their Messiah. But neither does he pander them or coddle them as if everything is going to be okay with what they are doing and how they are rejecting Christ at this time. Paul prays that they be saved by God. Paul entreats God to save them. Paul asks, Paul requests, Paul pleads. Paul's passion in his prayer is requesting to God for salvation, that a, a work of salvation will be done by God. It is not, not a light or trivial matter to Paul, though, that the, the Jews are rejecting the Messiah that's come to them. We, too, need to develop this type of heart's desire that goes out to God in prayer. For Jewish people that are rejecting the Messiah to this day, during our own day, the majority of national Israel right now, people who truly have blood ties all the way back to the people we read about in the New Testament, the majority of the state and the majority of the people reject God. I think there's less than 1 or 2% of the nation that polls that they are Messianic Jews, or that they understand Christ as their righteousness, and that they're not trying to establish their own righteousness anymore, and they believe in Jesus. That's a very small percentage to this day. People that are willing to say that they trust in Christ. So we should develop a prayer for these people, as Paul had. And as Paul went out to our people, the Gentiles, to bring us the truth of the gospel and the great vision of salvation that God provides through Jesus Christ, through faith, in his redemption, and his atonement, and what he did for us, we should have a, a great desire. Our heart should be cons concerned continually for peoples without the gospel, for people that are rejecting the Messiah and his message and his messengers that bring them this wonderful news. Second, verse 2. Paul testifies, or he gives witness. He is a witness concerning the Jews at this time. He's a faithful witness. He's a true witness. His report is accurate. And what is his report? He tells us, that the Jews have a zeal for God. They have a zealous 
passion for God. But in what way? It's the wrong way. And specifically, while you may have a passion for God, specifically here, the Jews, it is not in accordance with knowledge. Right here, Paul is saying, you have to know things rightly. All the passion in the world for Yahweh, even knowing him as the true God, people can know God's name and know who he is and know about him and read the scriptures and not be saved because they don't actually have the right knowledge or thinking about this God. So them thinking that they're going in the right direction toward the right God does not end up in them being saved. And we'll look at that here, specifically where they erred. Specifically, Paul out, draws out the reality that they don't have the right knowing about God. They don't know the right things about God. They're not accepting the right things about God. They're not subjecting themselves to God in the right way. So Christians, whether Jew or Gentile that take the name Christian, have to know things about God, the right things. You can't get into heaven knowing the wrong things. You can know some wrong things and still get into heaven, but you have to know the right things about Christ. Right things and right knowledge leads to right attitudes and right subjection. And we'll look at that. Verse 3. Not knowing about God's righteousness. So he tells us where they erred in their knowledge. They erred in not knowing about God's righteousness. And then he puts up a contrast of what they were trying to do. The rest of verse 3 here. Not knowing about God's righteousness, and here's the contrast. They were seeking to establish their own, their own righteousness. And so they had two things on the table. They didn't know about God's righteousness. They weren't seeking to establish his righteousness above theirs. They were actually not knowing about God's righteousness and simply trying to establish their own. Today in this world, it looks like this. I'm okay. I'm a decent person. I'm a confirmed Roman Catholic. It's not only them who are. Protestant churches are full of people. Jesus says in his own church, the church is full of tares that are not wheat. They have no fruit. They look really close to wheat, but they're self-deceived. They're self-deceived. They actually do not have a knowledge of God's righteousness. There is no humility, and they do not love and cherish Christ above all things. They've never been born again. Through the flesh and through the efforts of the flesh, they conform themselves to sit in church. To go with the crowd, to be socially acceptable. Or because they simply enjoy morality. People go astray in many, many ways, different ways. 
The Jews did not know about God's righteousness, and they sought to establish their own. Do not, do not seek to establish yourself as a good person, as an okay, or that I have some righteous deeds of my own to present to God, that I deserve a, that I've merited something. I'm not talking about rewards here for true Christians. I'm talking about salvation, the gift of salvation. Do not think that God owes you a thing. This is what that's going after. Many of the Jewish people during Paul's day believed that God owed them, specifically the Pharisees. You read the Gospels over and over again. Christ confronts the religious leaders that they trusted in themselves that they were righteous, that they prayed the prayers, that they tithed their mint and their dill and their cumin, that they gave the right temple tax every every time. That they wore the right the right robes and lengthened their tassels like they were supposed to in the law of Moses. They thought they'd crossed every T and dotted every I. <clears throat> Yet Jesus tells them, similar to what Paul tells us in Romans 1, 18 through 31, he not only failed in that, which many of them actually did, but they thought they actually did it rightly. They thought they did it rightly. <clears throat> But they failed to be loving and compassionate. One of the greatest rebukes of Jesus was for the leaders was that they did not love and that they were nothing like God in many ways. And they didn't care for justice. There was a lot of crooked things going on within the Sadducees and other leaders. The zealots were willing to murder and kill to get rid of Roman authority in their, in their land. Do not have a high view of yourself. You must come to Christ empty, broken, and say, nothing to the cross I bring. I'm going to cling to the cross alone. What's the difference between a Christian, a Jew, and a Muslim? What's the difference? Or Orthodox Jews and Orthodox Muslims believe that they are gaining righteousness through their deeds, through which Allah or Yahweh will grant them salvation based upon their own merits, entrance into heaven. Do you know what the Christian says? I don't deserve to be here. Gets down on their knees, weeps, and knows that they do not deserve to even be on the outskirts of heaven or the new earth. But they glory in Christ Jesus and they say, if I come in, it's only because of Christ. It's only because of Christ. I esteem him. He is my righteousness. Isaiah says this, prophesying of the future and even of the present what the people of God in the Old Testament and the people of God in the New Testament up to this modern day have always known in their hearts and minds about God because they are born again and they have the true knowledge of God 
They know that they are sinful and they do not deserve to trust or touch God. They have a vision like Isaiah in chapter Isaiah chapter 6. They get down on their face. They humble themselves and they realize and they confess that they are unclean, that they are unrighteous, that they are impure, and that they don't deserve to be near the train of God's robe or near the angels. This is, this is Isaiah who we're about to read from. This is his vision in the beginning of Isaiah. So if you want to know how the Christian life begins, it begins with humility, a prostrating of yourself before God, knowing and confessing that you are unclean and a sinner, and that it's only by the grace of God that he comes forward and touches you with a lump of coal and burns your sin away and removes your sin from you and says, stand up, now work for me. That was Isaiah's commissioning. It's the same for it. The image is the same for every Christian. Isaiah says this in 45, 24. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. The people of God say only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Not in God plus me are righteousness and strength. Only in the Lord is righteousness and strength. Righteousness, they know, is God's characteristic. And they have failed to be holy and righteous like the Lord. Men will come to him and all who are angry with God, angry at him, will be put to shame. Jeremiah 23 says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. There aren't any righteous branches right now in the people of Israel that are righteous in and of themselves. Many are saved, but it's through the righteous branch, the true Messiah, that salvation comes. He, the righteous branch, will reign as king and he will act wisely. He will do justice and righteousness in the land. Notice the theme of righteousness. Notice the theme of righteousness. And there's not mention of one human being. That's the source of that. In his days, in the Messiah's days, Judah will be saved. So Judah needs saving. Israel needs saving. The people need saving. They don't have this righteousness. And Israel will dwell securely in the land. And this is his name by which he will be called. This is the name by which Jesus the Messiah will be called. They don't know his name is Jesus at this time. It's the Messiah. It's the anointed one. It's... In English, it's Christ. The Lord, our righteousness, is his name. You know what his title is? His name that he was called by his people whom he saves? The Lord, our righteousness. The Lord is the source of our righteousness. These people cry out and know and confess that God is the source of their righteousness and they are being covered by God. And they're trusting in that. 
And they're glad to cry out that the Lord is our righteousness. And that he received that name and that title and that honor and that glory. Jeremiah 33, further down in the, in the book of Jeremiah, says this in verses 16 and 16, 15 and 16. In those days and at that time, he's repeating the same, the same theme. I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth. A righteous branch, once again. He repeats himself. He shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. This is the name by which she will be called. Jerusalem, or the people of God, are going to be called this. So it's the title for God, and here it's the very title that the people have over them. It's their very name. The Lord is our righteousness. That's the title that you have over you as a believer in Jesus. That's your name. The Lord is our righteousness. And to put it personally, individually, you can say the Lord is my righteousness. The Lord is my righteousness. Romans 3. Romans 3 says this, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, which means this, the righteousness of God has been revealed. It's here. It's being shown to us. It's come about. We can actually see it. And John speaks that way in, in John 1 and also in 1 John 1. We've seen the Messiah. This is righteousness on earth. This is the great revealing of God. This is God in the flesh. This is the word who was with God in the beginning and who was God. God is here and we have seen him and he is full of grace and truth. John was an Israelite that did believe while many of his brethren did not. This righteousness of God has been manifested, and it's being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. They have no righteousness of their own. And in order to dwell with God and to be with him in heaven, you need perfection. You need righteousness over you, surrounding you, upholding you. You need the righteousness of God to be in his presence. All have sinned and fall short of his glory. Being justified, another way to translate that is being called righteous, being declared right as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Receiving God's righteousness is a gift by his grace through the atonement, through the redemption price that Jesus Christ paid. It's a gift of God. It's a marvelous gift of God. And anyone who refuses this gift of righteousness through Christ is in great error. 
and is on a path to rejection from God, is already rejected and is already a child of wrath. And may or may not be saved. Ever. First Corinthians one. Verse 30 says this. But by his doing, by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Remember that Christ Jesus' name and Jeremiah is the Lord, our righteousness. And remember in Jeremiah 33 that the people of God, their title and their name is the Lord is our righteousness. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. You are in the source of righteousness. By God's grace, by his doing, you are in Christ. Who became something to us, it says. This Christ became something to us, those who believe. What did he become to us? He became the wisdom from God. We didn't achieve wisdom on our own. The people of God are not wise. In many ways we are foolish and we stray and we err. Christ is the source of wisdom and he became to us the source of God's wisdom. And righteousness. Christ became to us wisdom from God and righteousness. He is the source of our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our ongoing salvation. Jesus is not only the author of our faith, he is the perfecter and finisher of our faith. He is the source, he is the originator. Everything we have is in Christ. Christ, the Lord, is our righteousness. He's our wisdom, he's our sanctification, he's our redemption. He's the one who paid the price and bought us. Verse 31, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So where can humans boast in? It is not in self. It's not in some other man. It is alone. Boasting goes to the Lord and to Jesus Christ. But the Jews erred. The majority of the Jews erred. Many of the Jews rejected their Messiah and their righteousness which comes from God and was manifested to them. In so many ways, Jesus proved himself to be the Messiah. And these people failed. They had a great zeal for God, Paul says. They had passion. And if you look at Paul's life before his conversion, he was full of passion. He was killing people who were believing in this Jesus. And he thought he was doing it for Yahweh, the Lord. Because the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and the 70, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that made up the ruling court of Israel condemned Jesus and he took up their cause and became the captain that went around for them and drugged Christians away from their home to be killed or imprisoned. Paul was this guy and that's why his witness and his testimony about them is true. Not only that, we believe he is inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
there is a move within theological circles today to try to say that the Jews were not this way. So be warned. Be warned. There is a people who say that the Jews were not trying to establish their own righteousness. Which is crazy because that's what Paul says. And that's exactly what Jesus says in the Gospels. They try to lighten it down and use thousands and thousands of words to try to lighten that. I wouldn't trust that. The Jews were seeking to establish their own. So when they were confronted with Jesus, when the Pharisees interacted with Jesus, what was their attitude before Christ? It was not of humility. It was not of recognition over personal sin. They tried to trick him and trap him all the time. They were proud and they were self-righteousness. And they tried to establish their own good works before God. And they thought that they could believe that they could stand and judge Christ himself. And many of the people followed those leaders. Many of the Israelites followed the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots. Found themselves in those camps. But then at the same time, there were many, many hundreds of believers. Perhaps even thousands that had come to trust in Christ at that time. And thousands more at the writing of this letter to Romans. Many, many Gentiles by this time in 56 AD have been converted. Isaiah and Jeremiah told us of old that the Lord is the source of our righteousness, and that's his very title and his name. And that the people of God will also be called his name. The Lord is our righteousness. I pray that everyone here wants to be in that camp wants to be humble before Jesus Christ, knows that you are dreadfully sinful, that you have not loved God, that you have not sought God in many ways, but you humbly trust in Christ and you esteem him and you seek to obey him through faith. You want to honor him with your life because you know how lovely and beautiful he is and what he's done for you. God says this in 2 Corinthians 5 through Paul. God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. Notice the theme, in Christ, in him. And catch this. We needed to become something that we were not before. We needed to become righteous, and that righteousness came through God exchanging Christ's righteousness, him getting our sin and we getting his righteousness. We became righteous because of the source of righteousness, Christ. What an amazing truth. Foundational and central doctrine of Christianity upon which Christians are to march forward and live for God with fear and trembling, and with joy and laughter. That their God is great, that their God is their source of their righteousness, and that they lead lives respecting him, loving him, cherishing him, laying down everything for him. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And from joy over it, 
the man who found that treasure, who found the king, who found the kingdom, gives up everything in this world to possess the king and the kingdom from joy. Have you ever had joy as a Christian for the king and the kingdom, no matter the cost? No matter the cost. I pray that we will all develop a deep love for all the unbelieving Jews. That our hearts would desire people's salvation by praying to God. I pray that you will all pray more and that your heart's desire will become Godward for other people to become Godward with their life, with their everything. You need to know something about the gospel when you share it. You need to know what Paul knows about the Jewish people at this time and what everybody needs to hear, whether Jew or Gentile. All the passion and zeal in the world does not save you if you don't have the right know of the right things. Passion toward God, being a Roman Catholic, being a good Protestant, being whatever, is not going to save you. You have to know the right things about God. Specifically, a true confession and knowledge of personal sin. These people are not knowing about God's righteousness. They're seeking to establish their own. Everybody wants to believe they're an okay person and that God, that they deserve something from God. And you need to wrench that out of their hearts and minds. Because the reality is, they're not treasuring God. They're treasuring their own selves. They're looking at themselves still. They're looking inward for the source. And that some external source, God, will grant them something based upon their own merits. They have deceived themselves, thinking that they're okay, they're good, I'm nice, I've done some good things. I've done a little bit of bad, but that's not so bad. No, it's really bad. And you have nothing. You have nothing to offer God. But God has everything to offer you in himself. It has nothing to do with you. You were the source of nothing but sin. The only thing you added to salvation was the sin which made it necessary. Jonathan Edwards. People do not subject themselves to Christ. They don't subject themselves to the righteousness of God. His perfection, his holiness. They treasure sin still, or they think it's not so bad. I'm not such a bad person. And so they continue in this attitude of autonomy. Self-governing, I'm all right. I'll tell God what he needs to do for me, is the attitude. I have not laid down prostrate like Isaiah with the great vision of Jesus Christ a great understanding of my personal sin and guilt, and lay down and say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I have not, they are not, they aren't humbly beating their breasts before God, unwilling to look to heaven and say, God, I deserve to be cursed by you. This ought to be the attitude of every Christian. It's supposed to be. And you're supposed to subject yourself to Jesus Christ and understand that he is the righteousness of God. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. You want righteousness that comes from God, and it comes to everyone who believes.
God's message is repent. Repent of sin. Turn away from it. Accept what I say about you and your sinfulness and your ugliness. Bow down before me. Subject yourself to me. Believe and trust in me as the source of righteousness. I am your cleansing. I am your healing. I am your washing. I am your covering. And I will cover you if you come to me. I will be joy for you and everlasting life and salvation. Repent, believe, and obey. And as Jesus likes to say, come follow me. Amen. Amen.